Istanbul 74 presents How Can We All Make It Into the Future? 74 podcast series. On the podcast, we discuss the global pandemic we're currently facing and how it'll reshape our reality and society with opinion leaders and creative minds from all over the world. Let's explore together what the future might bring for us. Hello and welcome to this edition of the 74 podcast series. How can we all make it into the future? In this episode, curator, writer and educator Vasif Kortum speaks with Defne Koz, co-founder and partner of Koz & Susani Design, an innovative award-winning design studio based in Chicago, where Koz designs iconic, impactful and emotionally engaging products and experiences. Working between Turkey, Italy and the US, Koz synthesizes Turkish aesthetic values with Italian design philosophy. Okay, hello Defne. Hello, Asif, how are you? Good, good, very good. Um, well, okay, here we go. I mean, I, I'll have some questions for you, but uh, before before the questions, maybe just to backtrack a little bit. And I don't want to uh, uh, index the whole uh, discussion around this pandemic or this episode, because I do really think that to load all of the changes we are going through globally on COVID-19 does not quite make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And we may produce theories of change around it, uh, but I suspect it's quite immature uh, to do so at this moment. And I do really think that one cannot quite know the world when one is right in it. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious that we're going through some kind of historical change uh, and certain things that existed already is kind of brought into full light, uh, you know, but that is not in itself a new situation, mm -hmm. you know. So my questions will perhaps be a bit more general, uh, but I believe in a way more urgent or more pertinent, uh, so to speak. So I will start with a, like a very broad question to you, and which would be what do you think of the relationship between technology and design? And technology, uh, by technology, I mean, obviously, uh, new technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just address this a little bit, and then we can go on from there. Okay. So, actually, it's a big question. <laughs> Let's begin with that <laughs> one. Um, I, I think I need to start with one clarification, uh, which is that um, people today think that the the big word of technology refers just to the new and the digital technology, like the smartphones, the computers, the applications, AI, and so, which is, which is true. But um, we need to remember that the, um, the term of technology defines any tool that human, humans design to transform nature. Which means that the, the the job of the designers has always been uh, connected, hundred percent connected to the technology. And for for us, for me, for uh, for a designer, the technology has always been one of my main inspiration. So to be clear, the the use of the technology not necessarily love for technology, has always been very important for designers. So, well, um, we, we can say that we always use the technology to shape the world. Even, um, even when, we deal the, when we deal with the physical products and the traditional materials. And um, today dealing with, um, with the technologies in the material world uh, will get more and more interesting. So you, you can, I mean, uh, there are so many interesting ways. Uh, but we can, we can think about very basic examples also. I mean, you cannot even um, imagine how sophisticated can be, for example, wood today. So um, 
it will be hard to <laughs> explain it without the uh, without the images that I would be I could have I mean I, I would have shared with you. But anyway, so there are like companies like um, Alpi in Italy, which is a very famous company, and it is a wooden veneer company. So what they do is they take the tree from the woods, okay? And then they take the real wood from the trees, then they slice it, and then from that they make, they, they form, I mean, they make it in, into veneer. Then um, they kind of recompose it by shaping into the grain of an artificial tree. So uh, it, it is, it, 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 it looks, I mean, it is simple, it is, but it is also very difficult to do it. The moral of the story is that today there is a lot of technology even into the <laughs> traditional materials. So, well, the, the, that raises the issue of what is really natural today. So how um, do we designers use the technology to, uh, to reflect on the relationship between the natural and the artificial? And uh, I can give you another example, which uh, actually it was another, uh, which, is, which was a project that we have done uh, last year with a Turkish company, AGT, and it is uh, a beautiful company, beautiful uh, factories and so, and they are manufacturing floor, flooring systems. So they use a material which is more resistant than the wood itself. And what they do is to dress the material like a fake wood. So sometimes as a designer, you do things that seems a little bit contradictory to you, <laughs> but uh, actually, for, because for instance, I really do not like fake wood. Um, so how can I do this project in a way that I would like to have it? So that was the first question actually we raised. And I, I don't, uh, you know, I mean, when, when I'm saying the fake wood, I don't think we should remind the look of the natural materials just for, you know, the, the, the nostalgic way uh, or, uh, but I, I mean, but I also understand that people like the warmth of the wood because it has its, uh, the organic texture. It, it looks warm and it, is, it has a kind of rich texture as well. So um, what we have done to this project, uh, again, that I, in a way that I, as a designer, I should be liking that project. Uh, so we did design this new material. So to design this new material, we wrote a program at the computer to design a wood from a tree that does not exist. So <laughs> uh, because we generated its grain with an artificial, I mean, with a parametric program. So it, its grain has been um, generated by us. So, it, but still, it looks like a natural product of a nature, of a nature that does not exist. So I know it is a little bit com complicated, but uh, in the studio we were joking and saying that this was the wood from a tree from Mark. <laughs> and um, so the result actually looks like that it is a, a wood from a different nature, an artificial design language that is, I can't say, even nicer than <laughs> a natural <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I mean, I, 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 I quite like this idea and I cannot agree with you more about your uh, description of technology 
and designed historically, of course. And it's, I mean, it's really fascinating uh, to invent a wood veneer from a tree that does not yet exist. In a way, it's like a double negative, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, you know, the wood veneer is artificial and the uh, tree that does not exist is quote-unquote artificial mm -hmm. uh, as, as, as well uh, to reach something that is almost or even uh, better than the, yeah. <laughs> as you say, than the natural, uh, what natural. Uh, sometimes it's, it can be a little risky to say these things, but <laughs> because you might be understand, you know, in a different way. But. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. But I mean, it, of course, we are operating on a misunderstanding, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. a way, but, but it's a willful misunderstanding too, because I mean, at the end of the day, what, uh, you know, a tree bark and the veneer is actually you know, underlies the history of the tree uh, more than anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what it has gone through, how, how was that, how was how the weather was that year, how it shrank, how it expanded, etc., etc. So it's a trace of life, uh, more than a you know, more than a, a visual surplus. Uh, but uh, but at the, but at the same time, that's not what we use it for. <laughs> when we use it on our floors and sometimes on the walls as well. Yeah. And anyway, I mean, but that's that's also, I mean, this is a very, uh, I mean, a very powerful gesture in, in in some way, like a designer as the as the hand of God. You know, you bring that brings new things to the world that we did not ex know existed before. And if even if it may not be, even if it may be from something that does not yet exist or may have may not exist or may exist, but we don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I mean, let me kind of let me rephrase the let me try to rephrase the question. Okay. And this is going to be a long one. So what I'm interested in is uh, in, interested in the aspects of ruptures in the, in the relationship between technology and design. Mm -hmm. uh, moments of uh, fundamental breaks, you know, by ruptures. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. And that is to say, I mean, our species have invented and mastered tools and processes in more sophisticated and diverse way than uh, other species, obviously. Mm -hmm. you know. mm -hmm. uh, and the way we make things have transformed along with it because through learning uh, what we are using in terms of tools and processes, processes, uh, things, uh, it was like, that was like kind of like a back propagation mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So if the world, I mean, if you imagine the world is an inventory, a full inventory of, uh, of our history, uh, you know, one can take a chisel, uh, to a, to marble and make a, you know, make it an object out of it, mm -hmm. or one can train a program that gives you wood that does not yet exist. Uh, or that may not exist. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, we are now amid a massive leap in tool production, I think, mm -hmm. uh, like never before, or perhaps uh, we can perhaps only compare it to the beginning of the 20th century, you know, when uh, we started inventing machines, machines that can fly you know, or machines that can go you know, yards and yards underwater and travel underwater. We invented cubism and we invented relativity and all of those things. And, the, and all of the ramifications of all that, you know, penicillin you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that, that, that sort of uh, amazing, amazing uh, uh, innovation, which did not happen afterwards as at that kind of intensity. Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, and what we seem to be going at the moment is an equally massive leap, uh, and and a, a, a leap in uh, that's going also super fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, in a way, with the, with machine intelligence, we're moving from this kind of prosthetic state to a new paradigm. Mm -hmm. uh, so the nature of the tool is uh, is being re is transforming itself. And no one knows exactly, you know, the direction it will take because uh, unlike most people, I do believe that the future is almost open, you know, it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So keep being the first question in mind. Uh, I'd like to indulge a little uh, bit further. Uh, for example, uh, does 3D printing that doesn't limit us to the rigid shapes of industrial manufacturing, as we know, mm -hmm. take us even further away from nature, but paradoxically closer 
uh, to organic farms? Hmm. Actually, th that is exactly the point. We, I, I mean, I have also a very good example for that. And to to your question, another question. So, since the three D printing finally frees us from the Cartesian geometry. How should we explore the future shapes, the future geometries, the future forms? So uh, with that question in mind, in my mind, uh, six years ago, actually, with Istanbul 74, we realized an exhibition. I mean, I have done an exhibition over there. Um, and in that project, I really wanted to explore the shapes and the textures and the light effects only only possible with these new uh, new technologies new new sources and uh, you know that actually pra practically i i used the three new technologies back then which were the led light sources and that was more or less, it was the beginning of the, uh, these sources, the parametric geometries, and the last one, as you say, was the 3D printing. And the combination of these new technologies, um, we, we should completely, uh, we, we, I mean, we can and we should, completely reinvent the design of, in this case, lamps. So the, uh, in the project, the only thing that remains from the old way of the designing lamps with the shades and so we are not using any of those, but the only thing that we use is the light. And that was my starting point. So how can we generate light effects through mm -hmm. a solid 3D, 3D printed material? Um, so the, the name of that project was called Solid Light um, because, um, well, we used patterns, meshes, textures of this material to diffuse and to, to play with the refractions of the light. And then, of course, with the uh, LED technologies, we reduce the light sources to a very, very simple, small disks. And they were at the base of these uh, objects. So the results, the results were really magic. They were like light clouds in materials, but palpable volumes of light floating in the darkness. And they were suspended in an environment. And the, that environment was um, populated by this, these large textures, the shades of these objects. So it was truly magic because we generated the light effects that were absolutely not possible before the 3D printing. Yeah, I think this is this is really uh, I mean wonderful, and also it's quite interesting because it's kind of a uh, I guess non-industrial way of uh, of developing the world because uh, between the you know between the new tool that's invented mm -hmm. and and its utilization uh, the the, between the invention and the utilization, the space and time is is shrinking uh, so fast. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would take I don't know, like Edison to make the lamp and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, then it wouldn't change for my God, I, I, however many years. Mm -hmm. uh, versus uh, that, versus the you know you can now access uh, a new technology. Uh, Pair it, and you paired it with it with a different technology, and use parametric design, and all three put together is actually it's evident, it's there, mm -hmm. and and uh, but the speed of it is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. uh, 
this hasn't this wasn't happening in the, the, uh, like this before but let me put my foot in my mouth and uh, just uh, ask you the question from a different angle uh, because i'm i'm really interested uh, in the notion of craft yeah mm -hmm. and but do you think we need an expanded definition of what we mean by craft mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because i mean traditionally craft is 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 defined as an activity involving uh, a particular kind of skill in making things by hand. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, but not completely by hand because there's always a tool uh, involved, you know. It's a, say it's a pottery wheel for a ceramicist or an edge beveler for someone who is involved with tanning uh, leather and, you know, that kind hmm. of stuff. Hmm. But, and... And that was what we thought craft, or what uh, that was the limits of uh, craft at the at the time. Mm. And you couldn't, but you cannot be a great craftsman if you cannot adapt to the tool as well. So you have to become the tool uh, to such a degree that you uh, transform it. So it's a it's a double way. I mean, double uh, double road that goes there. And that is then that's what we cannot quite define either, because I think that's kind of magical, mm. you know. Uh, not only the tool adapting to you, but you adapting to the tool uh, as well. It's it's a different symbiosis. So, but what, uh, I mean, it may be necessary that today the notion of craft can be rethought. And what would you say about that? I mean, how do you perceive it? Uh, or do you have enough time to indulge in the intricacies of a tool uh, directly? Mm. Or in the sense that uh, that the tool is yours and you play with it? Or do you think uh, it has become more of a collective endeavor of the studio mm. or outsourcing specialists uh, on project basis and so on and so forth, so that the knowledge uh, the knowledge is pulled in? So it's not, it doesn't sit with one person or with one... It may sit with one vision, but doesn't sit with one person. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I don't know. I mean, because, uh, yeah, I mean, it is impossible. No, in fact, pointless mm -hmm. to try to be everything and uh, every, or to encompass every uh, capacity at the same time. So I to completely understand and really cherish that one works with people one trusts. Mm -hmm. So my addendum question is the, uh, what is the time of craft today? You know, mm -hmm. or or if this is the this is the wrong question to ask. <laughs> no, I but uh, I mean, there's another level because uh, you know uh, the world. I mean, we are getting better and better at levels of abstraction. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. what really changes, what really separates us, uh, our, our species uh, from other species, and also us versus a person in 19th century. That our levels we. We can, uh, our level of abstraction right now is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, even from 20, 30 years ago. And, and, and even language is having a difficult time uh, catching, up, uh, catching up with it. So, mm -hmm. so that's the big question. I see. <laughs> well, it is. Um, well, uh, you know, a craft gets its value with the craftsman, for sure. I mean, uh, with his work, with um, his ability, but I am more interested in a different definition of the term craftsman. That is um, a, a, a craftsman who is dedicated um, to to do its to to good work for its own sake. So craft is not about the tools we use or about doing it by hand, by it is the attitude, how we work. It's an attitude to, to how mm -hmm. we work. So uh, we, do, we do good work because we are perfectionists and um, which, which may become actually why we work. There, <laughs> there is an a kind of um, there's a, an ethical dimension in doing good work, uh, and as a consequence, in the delivery, in delivering, 
quality products. So I, I can give you uh, an example. Uh, for instance, the you know the Japanese culture. We we all know how perfectionist they are and how good they are in whatever they are doing. In you know, um, so their culture, which is very famous with with their craft culture, the, their culture that transferred the craft of doing these wonderful ceramics or wonderful impeccable lacquers by hand into the craft of manufacturing wonderful Lexus cars mm -hmm. that are not done by hand. And they are mass manufacturers, they are mass manufactured by robots, but they aim anyway at an absolute perfection. So that will be my understanding of the craftsman's work. To your absolute best. <laughs> now I noticed. Uh, I mean, I noticed that it, it, in you almost it's almost genetically inscribed <laughs> to, to 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 the work you do and, and uh, to the seriousness uh, of it as well. Yeah. Okay. So if. Uh, I mean, my uh, my usual victim is like the automotive sector uh, in these <laughs> uh, in these discussions. Uh, so, how does technology define the forms of the objects, say in the automotive sector? Because I mean, uh, you cannot imagine a more boring design institution, no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And things haven't changed uh, since, I mean, up until very, very recent years, but things have not changed much since uh, Model T, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Raymond Lowy, you know, in lead, in, we had discussed this in leading up to this conversation. And my hero is also uh, Bertoni, who was the man. And uh, but nevertheless, I mean, your studio has been quite involved uh, with these uh, questions, especially questions of mobility, which is a very critical and important aspect of what's happening in the world today. So I'm, uh, I'd love to hear from you about a little bit about mm -hmm. it. Well, uh, yes, thank you. And um, the, the mobility definitely is a very important subject for all of us. Uh, in this in this period in this era where we live so um well the car design is uh, absolutely fascinating because the cars have uh, enormous functional restrictions but on the other side it's uh, the you know the choice of a car is mostly emotional and um if you think of a car in a way, uh, the, the, the car should be just the, I mean, if you, if you think of a car in a, let's say, functional point of view, uh, a car should be just the optimal shape wrapped around, first of all, the people inside, the mechanics under the hood, and of course, the safety, just in case for the accidents. And as the main thing to, to think about, the, the, the best aerodynamics. So it's actually, if you think all these um, things that we have to consider, the, it would make sense for the car just having one design and that could be the same for everybody <laughs> uh, but but on the other hand uh, the, the cars i mean they are they are actually the symbols uh, they are status symbols they are full of symbols they are about power aggressivity you know escape and if, if you think they are mostly male values by the way this you know well anyways but this the designers play with the with the proportions and the uh, the shapes to represent these 
symbolic and also emotional values and they are trying desperately to differentiate their product from the competitors because as you know branding brands are important so uh, the the uh, real dif differentiation between the vehicles will come only if the entire transportation system will change and which, which is very exciting because this is about to happen so as you were mentioning that our studio has involved in uh, the, the subject and yes we have done a few projects and we are doing some projects also there that are ongoing uh, about the future of the mobility not not working much on the the vehicles itself but on a vision where the entire ecosystem of the transportation uh, and with today's um, technologies you can imagine a quite different and interesting vision of mobility that's for sure so that the the big difference will come with um which is which has already began more and more vehicle sharing like you can see in most of the cities mm -hmm. these sharings like ride sharing bike sharing car sharing and uh even i mean more, more variety of these vehicles uh, with the different size and shapes and the electrical electric scooters and uh other more uh, on-demand services, like, you know, some of them use in these cities. And, um, and to, to supervise this entire system of sharing, there is AI. So mm -hmm. um, once all these, you know, happens with these sharing, the mobility will definitely qu look quite different and this is as we were saying it is almost it is about it's almost there it's about to happen and actually the the software is ready uh, the hardware i mean the the vehicles are almost there uh, but we still need to think and rethink about these uh, what's really slow is uh, our maybe the cities that they the, the the cities that they have to adapt the the problem is maybe not the problem but we we still have to f wait for or let's say accept what is slow which is the that is the cities to adapt so because um revolution revolutionizing a physical infrastructure like in this case the streets the buildings uh, the parking uh, it takes definitely way more time i mean it's not easy but even more slower will be these uh, the laws the bureaucratic part the regulations the policies and um those are not quick. So the, these are really slow in changing. So we have to, while we are going to rethink about the hardware parts, about the vehicles a little more, we have to wait for these uh, changes um, which are going to be adapted by the cities. No, I, I, I agree. I think it's, I mean, this is at one level super, super exciting. Um, and, it's, and it's quite needed. Uh, in you know, such a, you know, uh, such a non-dystopic, such interesting future. But at the same time, we are in such a Dickensian, you know, uh, age, you know, which to, to quote perhaps the most uh, classical, uh, most often quoted, uh, Dickens' proverb says, like, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. 
it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity, so on and so forth. By by this I mean, you know, as 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 far and interesting as as this, um, you know, uh, deep learning is and neural networks is is, is developing, and uh, and fantastic questions are being asked. At the very same time, we have. Uh, you know, we have Viktor Orban in Hungary and Trump in the USA and, and Bolsonaro in, you know, in, in, in Brazil, etc., etc. At a, at a governmental level, the stupidity of, uh, is, is beyond, beyond, uh, beyond really, beyond uh, imagination. Uh, which is quite, uh, which is quite, you know, which is quite a contrasting uh, situation we are in at the moment. But at the same time, I mean, you do mention regulations, uh, regulatory networks, etc., which is very, very critical. But at the beginning, I mean, for a number of years, uh, a, a big automotive mm -hmm. uh, and and internal combustion engines, you know, it really tried to short circuit this uh, this transformation. You know this, this, this what we may call a revolution in mobility as well, and uh, you know, and one of the one of the best ways to use uh, new technology. But thanks to Tesla, specifically, you know, and a whole range of other mobility solutions, finally the big automotive is now more more disposed to the transformation because they know they will lose the full game mm -hmm. uh, if they don't adapt themselves. Uh, so there's always kind of time factor in the adaptation, but I mean you are spot on. I mean, you know, in, in what is about like uh, about the technology which is like four wheels, axles, a steering gadget in the form of a circle, uh, powered by a single engine. I mean, how boring is that? <laughs> but uh, you know, regulations, infrastructure, con connectivity will all will all change. You know, yeah. and. And I think it's kind of crazy and you know, absolutely crazy that in today's world, uh, mobility is not managed as a network, you know, mm -hmm. not a mobility of a single uh, a single vehicle, but a network system. So like traffic lights are the most primitive version of this. They're well networked, uh, you know, uh, supposedly they're well networked. But what is really essential is that each device has to be networked to all other devices so that uh when one car experiences a particular thing at one moment on a particular street all other cars who are entering that particular street uh, after that moment should uh, potentially should know what's going to happen mm -hmm. so in a way you know you can imagine a pothole on your street being recognized by an intelligent vehicle which would then feed that uh, feed that pothole back to the system and that it would be fed back to each mobility device that is heading in the same direction. I mean, it's so easy that it's like uh, like ride sharing is no brainer. And I think it's what it will really fundamentally do as it is doing with you know Uber and Lime and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, that is helping a better distributed, uh, better microeconomies flourish in a in a in a much more uh, beautiful way. I think as as long as as much as we can actually uh, have a more distributed economy things uh, things will get better but uh, go on i mean i'm really un uh, interested in understanding connection uh, understanding the connection between designers uh, and ai so tell me more about your vision of mobility hmm. uh, about the ai i i think i have um, a different vision from what many people think, because um, when we imagine AI, uh, I'm always having in my mind, in my in front of my eyes, you know, the scenes from the movies, uh, that this, they have always a voice, a, a certain name, and almost a body, and then we have Siri or Alexa in our life, and, and or these anthropomorphic robots, mm -hmm. and um, so it is much more anthropocentric way of thinking the AI, which is okay. That is true, but um, there are some of the um, embodiments of the AI that these are the most predictable, and to my opinion, in a way, 
these are the least interesting ones. So I am interested in thinking at AI as something that is different from humans, uh, mm -hmm. something able Absolutely. not much to replicate what humans can do, but to do what humans could never do. So uh, going back to the, the, the vision of the mobility, um, imagine a way that knows uh, exactly where everybody in an entire city and metropolis, let's say Istanbul or Tokyo, or where each person will start from point A and ends up in point B. And imagine knowing this in the real time. And imagine this for 20 million people. Yeah. So uh, on the other side, the imagine knowing exactly in real time where all these vehicles, I mean, all of them, the bikes, scooters, small cars, large cars, my, you know, minibus, uh, big bus trains, local trains, fast trains, I mean, oh, never ending. And, and they are at any given moment where and when they could stop and and how many people they can fit in. So it, it, it's a mind able to match the 20 million riders with all these vehicles so they can have the best trip in the right vehicle and at this right time. Now, add, add to this the um, ability to consider also the other factors such as the weather. So mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. do not give a bike to somebody when it rains or like the, the congestion in the traffic. So you do not send a bus in a road where there is a, an accident happen. And so the preferences, so you, the, the, so you give priority to a person that risks to miss an appointment that she has in her calendar. So can yeah. any human manage this? <laughs> well, cannot, but AI could. So better yet, an AI, AI um, system could, could know this <laughs> even before all these things happen. I mean, even before these people know where they, they they need to go. So even they know even before us, uh, even before the vehicles that are available. So that, that is called the, the predictive modeling and other people mm -hmm. AI. So if you imagine the mobility in this way and look back to how we move today, it looks like a, a very primitive system. That is for sure. Well, so why we are, I mean, if you, if you, you know, even when you walk or drive, you, you see all these running empty buses uh, at night and uh, some streets are full, and, but the parallel streets are not. And what, what, I mean, or why should I wait for the bus at, uh, which is at its own, let's say, schedule? Uh, instead of adapting my, the, the, the bus lane to my schedule. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> these are the, the definitely the, the AI can manage. No, absolutely. I mean, you're so clear on, on this uh, image of uh, AI uh, appearing to us in the form of our species. I mean, it is, uh, it's nutty. I mean, of course, I mean, the people who are really, really developed in, uh, I mean, developed thinkers in this uh, role do not uh, succumb to this kind of uh, belief. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, in general, it's, uh, we look at the movie Her, for example, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's the usual. Uh, and maybe we're scared of it because, uh, in that form, uh, rather than the form of hell, uh, 
in you know yeah. uh, it's it's a bit more scary because it looks like us and is much better mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but this is really i mean it's it's yeah but the question is not there i completely agree i mean also i mean the artificial intelligence i think it's like somewhat of a misnomer mm. uh, because intelligence is uh, you know is 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 about consciousness first of all mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and self-awareness and all of that and you know we know that ai is not at it is not interest i mean we're not interested in ai having consciousness or or self-awareness yeah. or mm-hmm. and 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 putting artificial also before it is kind of strange because i don't know what is artificial and what is not <laughs> It's a, it's a difficult, I mean, it's a difficult proposal to make artificial. So if say like deep learning for the moment, I think, or you can correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, or, be, you know, because, you know, machine learning is is what happens is, is when we throw uh, like data, chaotic data, or, you know, presumably chaotic data, of course, mm-hmm. but we don't include the metadata so that there are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And we tweak along the system or uh, the learning with with uh, backpropagation, basically. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty sophisticated, but pretty simple at the same time. But what is the role of uh, for designers in this scenario? I mean, I'm not asking this question to you in a, in a in a in a predictable way. You know, yeah. I'm not saying like will designers disappear when AI develops. No, no, that's not about, at all about it. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, we know that there is. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that there are many roles for designers in in the in the new scenario. Uh, but I'm asking you, and uh, how do you imagine it? Not only for yourself, but in general, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and also through your practice. Okay. Uh, well. Um... First of all, it is going to be very positive. <laughs> I think the, the the role of the 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 future role of designers is fantastic with AI as well. Uh, so, um, as you were saying, let's start from the most predictable and let's say the most established role of design. I'm designing the front end, uh, which is called the 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 way people will access that system and in in uh simpler terms the applications will use to to know you know we we use we are we have been always using uh the which mode of transportation will be the best will be best to go uh from my location to my destination uh so it, it, to give an example, what we have done, uh, that was five years ago, I believe, uh, we have done with the, we have done a, a multimodal trip planner for Xerox, uh, <laughs> which probably most of us will remember as a photocopier company, but um, has great uh, AI and software research uh, teams and so um, well anyways the application the app became a, a real product and actually adopted by the city of the Los Angeles and it was called uh, Lago um, that could tell you which combination of modes like the, the vehicles, the bikes, used buses, the cars is is best to, to go from one destination to the other one, from A to B. Uh, it is a, a, a function, functionality that Google Maps uh, uh, has in part, but at the time, actually five years ago, and when we began this actually, six years ago, and then the, the product came out five years ago, uh, almost no apps had. We did, at the time, design the user experience of such a system. And working on that app, we we started developing the, the, the vision that I described before, which goes beyond an app to manage this. So, and we... Let's say we discovered uh, a different role that designers may have. 
which is uh, nice. <laughs> and we discovered, for example, that um, the algorithms are not neutral. Yes. Uh, so th this is uh, the nice part, let's say. Let me, let me try to explain. If you, if you talk to a computer scientist, they will tell you that they are... Um, they will write uh, very sophisticated algorithms that optimize the system, uh, several systems that, and in this case, the system that we were describing a little ago, which is definitely true, but there is one optimal balance between the supply, in this case, the vehicles, and mm -hmm. the demand, which is the the people who need to go from somewhere to other place. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, another example. Like uh, somebody may like to get on a bike, and I have so many friends in Chicago that they are very good bikers that they would like to use it as much as possible, as often as possible. And they would even go out on biking in this freezing cold Chicago winter as well. But can you put on a bike the old lady in a wheelchair who needs to go to the doctor and fast? So the optimal for one person is not the optimal for the other one. And which means it's... Uh, Somebody needs to understand the human preferences and behaviors and tailor systems and algorithms accordingly. So that, which is a job, is not existing right now. And I believe this could be the, the, the future of designers, the domain of designers, because after all, <laughs> aren't we, the designers, they uh, aren't we the the uh, the people who understand uh, the discipline of the, uh, the the humans and buildings and uh, I mean uh, buildings humans uh, around the, the the discipline that we understand around the human um, and builds objects and systems and environments around them. So uh, that's why I, I would call this humanizing algorithms. And, and to my opinion, our next job as designers would be, the, would be this. And I actually, I have um, other examples for this, uh, which is the um, for this not non-neutrality of algorithms. So you can you can decide uh, to optimize the um, the mobility system to make, to take the businessman to the airport mm -hmm. as fast as possible, which we always do this right, uh, or to reduce the congestion and reduce the pollution in the city. So, okay, that's true. And um, it can be done by an AI. And AI can improve these both questions or uh, the, let's say, problems. I have to be fast and I should reduce the congestion and the pollution. But uh, which one would you uh, prioritize? Yeah. Again, I mean, here, when we were talking about not neutrality of the algorithms, I, um, again, math is not natural. And it is based on, um, it is based on the modeling, uh, the reality to provide the solution to its problems. So, uh, by changing uh, the, the way we describe a model, 
we can tweak the algorithm to prioritize one over the other. Uh, so who decides? I mean, this definitely gives a new, a new role uh, to the things that we were talking about before yes. the, the, the city policies, right? And uh, that the, the, this definitely create a new private and public dynamics. And not only these two, but also create a new responsibility for us, for us designers. So uh, you can, at the end, for instance, you can design a city that um, stimulates more uh, activity, that stimulates more walking, uh, and just by tweaking the algorithm, which wouldn't be bad, right? I mean, people who work on uh, AI, in AI, um, started defining the new jobs which may emerge in the future, and one of these uh, is about training machine learning. So it seems it learns, uh, it's going to learn, it it's learns better and based on us personally, on the real life problems. And <laughs> I would love to do that job. I'm a candidate for that. And I'm sure many other designers will be very good at that. And it's sometimes I think it is, it is too funny thinking that an average smart you know, uh, humans will need to train very, art very smart artificial intelligences that are actually quite ignorant about who humans are. <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty... <laughs> That's really great. I mean, also humanizing algorithms, so also democratizing algorithms, uh, perhaps you know, you know, even because it's. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I mean, needless to say, I'm not, uh, I'm not quite, I'm not uh, too much of a skeptic on this, uh, on this front, and uh, and um, I mean, you're right on again, uh, but I want to. Ask you perhaps. I mean, I also I also really appreciate uh, that designers would take this job on other rather than architects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a side joke. <laughs> so, uh, so one final question. I want to ask one final question. I mean, can you address this issue of uh, of uh, public good because you are talking about in a way public good and also if. Uh, the morality, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, the morality of uh, of deep learning, also the morality in, in how we will, uh, you know, how we will develop. Uh, and um, so, just to cut very quickly to uh, to my question uh, about about design and morality, you know, because I mean, obviously, we will do away with this with this notion with this notion of God pretty soon, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we've understand now very clearly that institutionalized belief has, uh, does not have much to do with ethics or goodness, you know, or morality even. And, 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 and as, as, as Hawkins says, you know, uh, how can a book written 2000 years ago, uh, which is pretty violent in, in parts and, and quite obsolete vis-a-vis -vis today's morality, how can that be a moral compass for us? You know? mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm not even talking about the the, uh, the origin story. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what is? Uh, I mean, you know, you said it so beautifully. But if you could expand on this a little bit more, what is the moral compass for you uh, in design? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I prefer to keep my moral compass for myself. And definitely, I, I would prefer to separate this from the way I do my job. Meaning that I don't think that, that the 
my job or the designer's job of raising the issue of the old lady, you know, that we were talking, would mean that I represent her mm -hmm. and that I can decide for her because the designers should not own the ethics of, of a society. For that, we have the democracy and laws and the public debate. So um, I think that there's a huge difference between the between saying that the designers should understand the humans to build the world around them and saying that designers should decide what humans want. And that is dangerous. Very dangerous <laughs> misunderstanding in designers. You know, debate in about doing good. So we are, we are you know, yeah, that is that can be dangerous. That's what separates you from the modernists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> Good. very nice to talk to you. And um, thank you. Thank you, Istanbul 74, to organize this and to invite me. And I'm pleased and privileged to talk to you. No, no, it's a great pleasure talking to you. Same here. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.